good morning, Christ City Church. My name is Jamin Carter. I'm one of the elders here. And before we get into our message today, I do want to uh, echo Logan's sentiment and just say happy Mother's Day. Um, I have a wife and she is a mother. And, oh, my mother is here also. I didn't see her. So uh, happy Mother's Day. You guys have uh, one of the hardest jobs that I've ever been able to witness uh, firsthand and one of the most important jobs. I also do want to take a moment. There's, there might uh, be uh, a few people who would, would like to be a mom and have not been able to um, conceive and, ha- and, and have children. And so we want to recognize that you are so precious and valuable as well. And in no way is your worth ever determined by that factor. So. Um, We just want to say happy Mother's Day, and in general, we just love women. Women are great. So, uh, in fact, you know, we wouldn't have Jesus if it weren't for a woman, right? Uh, Don't don't get me on sacrilege for that, okay? It's just, he was born of the Virgin Mary. We just read it in the Apostles' Creed, so. Um, We are in a series as a church called We Believe. Uh, we felt that at this uh, time in our, our church's history and the things that were going on, uh, that we felt that we wanted to get back to some of the basics, the pillars of our faith, things that Christians all around the world agree upon. And so we have rested here on the Apostles' Creed as something that has been passed down uh, for centuries since since Christianity really was born. Um, and so this is, this is one of the, the creeds that the founders of our faith clung to and held to uh, in times of uh, persecution, in times of flourishing. And so we're looking at that and exploring that in this series together. Uh, this morning, uh, in the text that we have that we'll be exploring, we'll be exploring and wrestling with the very identity of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Who did he claim to be? Who do other people say that he is? So some people say he was a prophet, that he pointed the way towards God. Some people say that he was just a great moral teacher, that he had really great lessons about how to live life and that we should emulate him. Uh, Some people would say he's a myth, that he's not even a real person, that he was constructed by various uh, people in the first first century in order to develop a counter-narrative to the other religions of the time. But who did Jesus say that he was? I'm not going to attempt to answer that question with another creed or some systematic theology or anything as safe as those things. Instead, we're going to do the most dangerous thing that we can do, and that's look at what did Jesus actually say. There's nothing scarier and more profound than to actually look at Jesus' own words. So often we try to declaw him of his full power, his full weight. So we're going to that text this morning 
to answer that question. Who does Jesus say that he is? And what do we think about that? What do we feel when we see that? So let's stand for the reading of the word. We are in John chapter 8, starting in verse 53. So I'll give you a moment uh, to get that ready on your phone or in the Bible. There's Bibles at the end of the aisle. I don't know what page it's on in those Bibles. Anybody know? Can anybody tell me? On the Bible on the end of the aisle? Nobody's using that one? Okay. If you don't have a Bible, uh, then that one's yours on the end of the aisle too. And that includes if you only have a Bible app. If you only have a Bible app, you need a real Bible. Okay. So let's read this together because I've already got you guys standing for a minute here. So this we pick up in a conversation between Jesus and a crowd of uh, Jewish people in the temple. And they're asking him this. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's offer this time up to the Lord in prayer for a moment here. Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would speak uh, through your words this morning. Pray that uh, you would use me to communicate your truth, that the things that uh, m- might be wrong or incorrectly stated, that those things would fall away and that your truth uh, would be what uh, stands firm. I pray that you would bless the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth uh, to bless your name, to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, here we have a a text where Jesus is in the temple and he is talking about and talking with uh, some folks about who he is. And I want to set the stage for you a little bit. So, this this is a the temple that a guy named Herod built, and it's a huge, beautiful temple. And if we look back uh, several verses, it says in verse 20 that he was near or in the treasury. And so that's important because of where that actually is in the temple. He's not at the seat of Moses where, where the, the main preaching and exegesis of the text would be. He's in a big open area right adjacent to the woman's court, the woman's court. So that means on Mother's Day, we would have to go to another area to go say, Happy Mother's Day, because that's where all the women would be. But that's not what the case is with Jesus in this teaching. He's out in the open in the temple where anybody could come 
and hear what he had to say. This was not all the people with the highest privileges or religious pedigrees, but they were Jewish people, which today I would translate that if I look at the original Greek church folk, and that's, that's a joke. It's not church folk in the original Greek. But some of us today will be listening from the perspective of we're church folk. We're people who've always gone to church. We've heard certain things our whole life. And we're now looking at some words that Jesus is giving us. And for these church folk, it was something that made them really mad, made them really scared and really uncomfortable. And you know what I've noticed about Jesus? He has a tendency to do that. Not, not just to uh, people who are irreligious. A actually, his words are usually more comforting to the people who are not religious. It seems to me that most often Jesus' words are highly offensive to church folk, to religious people. So, Let's take a look at this because we're, we're going to, to wrestle with some of the things that Jesus is talking about here. After that, we're gonna kind of take a, a step outside of and look around scripture to see, um, to, to, to further investigate that question about Jesus's identity after we look very closely zooming in on this text here. So uh, here we go, let's jump right in. We're in the middle of this conversation here, right before we read aloud, it says in verse 52, uh, they're repeating uh, his words. He's, they're saying, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And that is very offensive to uh, these people who have called themselves, even in this conversation, the children of Abraham. And so, they ask him, so are you saying you're greater than Abraham? He died, or the prophets, who, who do you think you are? And Jesus answered, this is, this is how Jesus likes to answer questions. He never says like, I am this guy, or yes or no. He just starts like uh, pontificating on, on some idea, and you, kinda, you really have to listen really hard. That's the thing about Jesus. He's a, he's, a, he's a human being. He's not a collection of ideas. And he often shocks and surprises us with how he would respond. Very dissimilar to somebody who uh, was only there to give us all the right answers for everything. So he just responds and he says, hey, I'm not glorifying myself. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. So, all throughout this text, all throughout this chapter, and actually the whole book of John, we find Jesus constantly referring to his Father. He's saying, I and the Father are one. He tells Philip in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That I don't speak, I don't do anything unless my Father has told me these things. So Jesus is getting around, he's, he's getting around to an idea that is blasphemy to the hearers to the listeners of these words. That in fact, in this culture that's monotheistic, meaning they fiercely believe in one God surrounded by a group of people who believe in many gods, the Romans, 
that this man in, a, in the Jewish temple, the most religious place there, is saying, I am equal to God. God and I, he glorifies me, I glorify him with what I say, we do these things together, and I'm, get, I'm building up, I'm ramping up to just flat out telling you what it is. And this is not a popular thing to say. And, and you have to wonder, so often when Jesus answers questions, as I alluded to earlier, why, why does he have to make it so complicated? You know, why does, he, why does he have to make it so confusing with all this, I, glor- I don't glorify myself, I glor- why doesn't he just speak plainly? I don't, I don't know. We're going to come back to that. That's going to keep showing up. But I want you to think about that question. Why is he so confusing? Why can't he make it easier for us, more simple? So, back to the text here. <clears throat> he says... Verse 55, but you have not known him. I know him. Oh my goodness. Somebody help these people. They are the children of Abraham, right? If anybody would say, I know God, it's them. These are the church folk. These are the people that know the scriptures. They could tell you what they are. They know the scriptures and then they know the scriptures that are after the scriptures and the scriptures after that. Like all the rules that aren't actually in there but the other rules we've invented to make those rules even further away from being able to break. Ain't nobody in here does that, do y'all? Huh? Nobody in here does that, do they? Anybody got rules? that maybe if you were to look real closely at them, they don't actually reflect Jesus's rules, but they're your own kind of thing that you've added. Huh? Somebody talk to me. I, I got to get talked to when I preach, y'all. I, I got to, Josh, you got a haircut. That looks great, man. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask y'all to talk to me. I need help to preach. I can't preach by myself. I need help. All right. So, Yeah, so we see that situation happening here when Jesus answers in that way. He says, you don't know, you don't know God. I know him. And he doesn't stop there. Hang on. He says, uh, in the middle of verse 55, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. This is not the meek and humble Jesus holding the lamb right here, is it? He's straight up, he's calling, that's like Jesus stand up here and said, all y'all are liars. You're all liars, and you are. But is it offensive to you to hear that from Jesus? That's the question. I'm a liar too. Uh, hopefully not in the 40 minutes I'm standing up here though. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, so. He says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and it was, and he was glad. So remember that ramp? Jesus is just building up that ramp. He, he's, he's continuing to say things to make these folks more and more mad. Abraham is the father. They consider Abraham the father of their faith. The one who first met and obeyed God, who obeyed Yahweh, the Lord, the I am. 
So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And then, then Jesus, he just finally, he's building up the ramp and now he's ready. He's ready to let it go. But before we read 58 again, I want to show you something. This is unsettling. It should be unsettling to you. It should give you pause. It should make you nervous, whether you're 16 or 60. This should make you a little nervous for a moment. Let's look back here in verse uh, 30. What's that say? It says, as he was saying these things, this is the same conversation just earlier. As he was saying these things, many what? What's it say? Believed in him. Now you would think if Jesus was aware of that, which he was, that at that point in the conversation, he'd be like, okay, let me, let me, just, let me just meet you where you are. Let, let, me, let me say, okay, okay, you believe, great. Let's sign you up. Let's, let's, let's make you a member. The disciples, we're going to have you come over here, talk to the disciples, and uh, we're going to get your statement of faith, and we're going to get you a pen and a Bible, and uh, you're going to follow us. But Jesus doesn't do anything like that, y'all. He, he, he looks straight up rude. Is that a sin? Is it a sin to be rude? Here in the South it is, right? So in verse 31, it says, uh, let's just follow this for a moment. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's another little problem here with his wording because the children of Abraham said, hey, we've never been enslaved to anybody. Jesus knew that was going to irk them. That was going to upset them. He goes on to explain, I mean a slave to sin, but really historically the people, the Jewish people were slaves. In fact, that was the founding of their faith was that God brought them out of slavery, that then when they could do nothing for themselves to change their situation, who did? Who did something? But who? God did something. That's offensive to religious people, to be reminded that it's God who acts on your behalf. It's God that saves you. That all of the information that you have, all of the knowledge or the scriptures that you quote or the times you've been the church or the times you stubbed your toe and didn't say a cuss word or the times that you could have done something wrong. You saw uh, this person and you could have gossiped about them and you didn't. And so God looks at you and smiles and Jesus says, you're a slave. You are a slave to yourself and to sin. And I just want to, I want to broaden for one second the definition of a religious person. Because immediately when we think of a religious person, we think about church. But, but when I say a religious person, what I'm trying to get at here is somebody who thinks by their efforts, by whatever it is that they can accomplish, that they are sufficient. They are sufficient for themselves. It's the student that continues to study and gets more and more degrees, maybe 
It's in, in antagonism towards God. Maybe, it's, maybe they're studying something that they believe proves that God isn't even real, and yet they are religious because they're seeking their own salvation in a way. They're trying to prove that on this little spinning ball of dirt in the universe that they all by themselves matter. And Jesus always has something offensive to say about that. That you need me. That's what he's saying all the time, all through these pages. You need me. I made you that way. So when I say religious, it's all those folks are the religious folks. And there are pieces of our hearts, of my heart, of your heart, that is fighting to keep that religiosity. It wants to say, I'm the one. I don't need God to save me. I just need God to recognize me and how great I am at my school, my job of taking care of my family, of not cheating on my taxes, of paying my insurance, of mowing my yard on a regular basis, anything, and probably many things. So the ramp's built, let's fly off it with Jesus. Here we go. So they said in verse 57, the Jews said, the church folks said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham, question mark. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you might say, well, that's still not exactly saying that Jesus is equal with God or is God. And there are uh, sects and denominations, sects with a CT, I have this like tooth retainer thing um, right now. Um, long story, but certain words, they just, I just need some grace, y'all, okay? And uh, so they, they, they try, they come, they come here to this text and they say, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. And they hinge their whole argument that Jesus is not God on, on, on this one text. The, I, I could give you several counter arguments, uh, but the best argument is just what was the response of the church folk? What'd they do? What'd they do? They threw, they, they got ready to do what? Stone him. They were going to throw rocks at God. When you say it that way, it doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? I wonder what it would look like to throw rocks at God today if Jesus was here saying things to us that were offensive. Because there's offensive things in the Bible to me. There's offensive things that Jesus said. I wonder if it would be something like, well, Jesus, I agree with your premise, but I don't see the clear evidence for the conclusions that you come to here. Are you sure these people are worthy of your salvation? Are you sure these people should be called children of God? You see, the people that crowded 
around Jesus to hear a word from him because, because they, they wanted life. They wanted that eternal life he was talking about. It wasn't these folks. It wasn't the church folks. It was the desperate. It was the destitute. It was the marginalized. It was the people that we don't always find that often in the pew on Sunday morning. And so he says, before Abraham was, I am. And uh, we've got, got a, a cute little slide to put up with the Greek here. Uh, the Greek word, which is the original language of the New Testament, uh, says ego ami, ego ami. And that literally translates into I am. And the reason why I show you that is because the text that we find where he's directly referencing comes from Exodus 3.14. And in Exodus 3.14 it says, God is speaking to Abraham, and Abraham says, who should I tell them has sent me? Because there are a lot of gods. There are a lot of different deities. So which one are you, the one that's speaking to me now? And God answers, he says, uh, I am who I am. That's what he says. He's saying, I, I'm the dude, I'm the guy, that's my name. It's me, the always, ever, eternal, ever present one. And then he goes further, he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus is claiming to be God here. He's claiming that he is God. Not just a great teacher, not just the Messiah even, not just the Son of God, but God, the man who walked the earth, who was born of a teenage girl out of wedlock, in a dusty little town called Nazareth, who grew up among the shavings and the sawdust of a carpenter's home, under the occupation of a hostile Roman government who had no known formal education that we can verify, is standing here in the temple of the Most High saying, in his dusty robe and his stub toe feet, I am. That's really offensive. See, for a lot of us, it's, it's hard to realize how offensive that is on some regard because a lot of us have grown up always hearing this narrative, this idea. But that's why that's not all we have in Scripture. Because we get to look at and listen to the teachings of Jesus as this man who grew up as a, a, a marginalized person and a single man born out of wedlock in a town where everybody knows everybody. Anybody come from a town like that? If something like that happened, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus is the, uh-huh, Joseph is his daddy, right? In fact, the Jews referenced that here in this passage a little bit earlier. And he's saying, it's me, I'm God. This is how I chose to come. This is what I thought was important to leave you with. 
That's who God is. So, on one level, the answer to our question is this. It's that. Who did Jesus make himself out to be? Nothing less than God. Was he a great teacher? Yes. Was he a prophet? Yes. Was he kind, loving, and compassionate, and moral? Yes. But before and after all of that, Jesus claimed to be God. Somebody in here better ask for some mercy right now. If this is true, God have mercy. If Jesus' words are the words of God, somebody needs to repent. Because we've been throwing rocks at God. There's been things that we have been believing and justifying in our lives, and it's just like we're gathering up rocks ready to throw them right at God. That just sounds like a real bad idea, but we just keep on doing it. So, I said first we were going to start in Scripture. We were going to then look sort of around Scripture to to answer this question in a different way. And so, uh, I would like to propose this idea, and it's not something that I came up with or anything like that. Um, I'll give you some names of some folks if you want to do a little more work on your own. Uh, But I don't believe, many of us, we would look at this text and we would say, okay, that I'm convinced of that truth, maybe I already was. Uh, but I can see that clearly in the Bible because you believe the Bible is the Word of God. You believe that it is inspired by God. And so what we find in the Bible is God's Word. But I don't think you have to have that belief in order to come to the conclusion that Jesus is actually God. That you don't even have to believe in the Bible as an inspired text to believe that Jesus was God. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that in 15 minutes. Y'all ready? I'm going to attempt to. I want to share with you a few quotes, and then I want to give you a simple a couple arguments. Uh, so first of all, uh, I want to just share a few quotes with you about this book, this New Testament book in particular. So I'm going to speed through these quickly, but this is about uh, a few questions about this Bible. Because some people, there might be somebody here that says, that's fine, all good, I get that the Bible says those things, but why? What's the reason I should trust the Bible? Why is it any more accurate or reliable than any other articles of faith or religion or beliefs? So here's, here's a few things. Let's compare it to some other ancient texts here. More than 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament exist today in the original Greek language. This is significant because when calculating translations into other languages as well, the number grows to 24,000 pieces or whole documents dating from the second to the 15th century. The second century puts us within the lifetime of the disciples, of the apostles. Let's compare it with the second best document in antiquity, the one we have the most evidence to corroborate its accuracy. Uh, That's the Iliad, Homer's Iliad. There are 643 copies that we can compare it to total, not even talking about within a a certain timeline of of when it was uh, first produced. Uh, Most documents from that time period, around that time period, even after, we have about eight 
We have about eight texts to, to, to corroborate the accuracy. What about um, the facts in the Bible? If it was a myth, then there would have to be made up people, made up situations, all that kind of stuff. If these writings had been mere inventions of the apostles, there, there would have been these phony names. Uh, these things would have existed in the time of the Jewish and the Roman leaders. This would have been the Watergate of the first century. Uh, the, the New Testament has been, prove, been proved true by all types of independent verification outside of the faith. So uh, a classical historian, Colin Hemmer, for example, he says that there are uh, over 84 facts just in the last 16 chapters of the book of Acts that have been confirmed by archaeological re research, just for example. Uh, and then just this idea, again, about the, the myths or things that were just included. Here's, here's something. This comes from Lee Strobel. He says, isn't it ironic or perhaps logical that few of the major issues facing the first century church, the Gentile mission, spiritual gifts, baptism, leadership, were addressed directly in the recorded words of Jesus? They weren't there. All those important things. He didn't speak to them. If his followers were simply generating the material to encourage the growing church, it is inexplicable why they would not have made up instructions from Jesus on these issues. In one case, the Apostle Paul flatly stated about a certain subject, quote, on this we have no teaching from the Lord. Doesn't seem very logical if you're just building a myth to leave out all this important stuff to carry on the institution that it seeks to create. But uh, do we have any other sources besides Christians on Jesus? Yeah, we do. We have at least 17 non-Christian writings that record more than 50 details concerning the life teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus, plus details concerning the early church. This is astounding, considering the lack of other history we possess from this time period. In comparison, how many, how many of you ever studied uh, King Herod? Study the life of King Herod. Okay, a couple people. Um, how many of you know what some of King Herod's greatest achievements were? No, go ahead, Sam. We can, we can, you can list all of them that you know. And we're done, right? The, these are just a few quotes. If you want more uh, information, there, there's one guy really easy to look up named Lee Strobel that I, I referenced earlier. He's the, he's the easiest one. He was a one-time skeptic. There's another guy, Josh McDowell, uh, both, both atheist or agnostic who began to study the scriptures and came to the conclusion that they were on the wrong side of eternity, that they had in fact been throwing rocks at God and um, they changed their minds just from studying uh, the historical research around it. So Lee Strobel and uh, Josh McDowell. Everybody write that down? You guys got it? You memorized? You got it memorized? Okay. All right. So we've got some footing to say, let, let, let's entertain the idea that the Bible is historical, but not inspired. Most scholars today, regardless of what they believe, they would say that the Bible is for sure, especially the New Testament, because it's closer in dating range as a historical document. Let's, uh, let's take a look at the quote 
in our bulletin and see what this guy, Philip Yancey, who, who before writing a book called A Jesus I Never Knew, he, he found himself overwhelmed with uh, thousands of books on the life of Jesus from all types of historians, all trying to put in their two cents of, or trying to, to unpack or figure out who Jesus really was. And uh, in his book, he writes this about Jesus. He says, it occurs to me that all the contorted theories about Jesus that have been spontaneously generating since the day of his death merely confirm the awesome risk God took when he stretched himself out on the dissection table, a risk he seemed to welcome. Examine me, test me, you decide. Jesus, he makes no apologies. He does not redact his statements. He doesn't say, just bear with me here for a minute. He says, I am God. He claims that all of your eternal, eternal destinies, that my eternal destiny, that everyone's eternal destiny in the world hangs on what they believe about him and only him. It would be hard to say that a person like that, if he were not God, is in his rational mind. Or worse, was he the greatest liar and deceiver the world has ever known? We can, let's explore that for a second, and, and there's a slide with those, those things on there. So what is, what is the conclusion if if we can trust the Bible as history and Jesus' words are indeed his words, then let's say uh, that he was a liar. If he was a liar, that means he lived his life in intentional deceit, that he embraced the idea that you should always let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes that in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he gives that, that he's calling these people right here liars, a whole crowd of people who it says earlier believed in him, he's calling them liars. And all throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus affirming honesty on the deepest levels. So what would it mean for a person like that to say he was God, to say he was the answer to all of the big questions in life? If he was that type of liar, he would also have to be a hypocrite, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he have to be a hypocrite? Of course. So, how, ask yourself this, how could we have the records of a man who spent his life teaching, preaching, and crafting the most respected group, grouping of ethics and morals be living this duplicitous life? How would he even be able to write those things? How would he be able to stand against those things? We see in the scriptures, the religious folk are looking to get Jesus to trip up. In fact, earlier while he's talking, he's saying, uh, I and the Father one, all this kind of stuff. And he says, which of you can accuse me of sin? And then he keeps going with what he's saying, right? He's saying, fine, look, look, examine me, test me. What was the crime what was the crime that, that, they, that they got Jesus with, that they nailed him with? Bad pun. That, that they got him with. What was his crime? Exactly. Somebody's preaching with me. I knew, I knew it'd be. 
he said, yep, I'm God. In Mark 14, he's being questioned, and he said, they said, are you God? He said, yep, and you'll see me sitting at the right hand of God. He one-upped him. That, that, you ever know somebody who, who, who's always one-upping? Who's always, you tell them a story, like, what'd you do this weekend? Well, that was really cool. I went to the movies, and um, I ate this really great dinner, you know, and, and they say, oh, well, let me tell you about the dinner I had. And I saw, I went to the drive-in in my friend's convertible, right? Always one-upping. That's Jesus. He's the one-upper. He, he's always one-upping everybody. He's always got something better. He said, oh, Jesus, what about this? And he said, well, they said, but listen to what I say. It helps to be God, though, right? <laughs> when you're one-upping, when you're God, it's kind of uh, expected, maybe. Unless you're one of these folks. So, that was, that was uh, Jesus' life. That's where, that's where we see him um, being convicted of sin. So it's very unlikely that he could get away with this liar uh, or uh, hypocrite way of uh, living all this life that he lived for 33 years. Um, that somebody wouldn't be able to dig something up from the past, a video, right? from the early 2000s that shows him saying all this stuff he shouldn't have been saying. And we don't have that. So let's say then, let's try this. So if he wasn't, if it's unlikely for him to be a liar or a hypocrite, um, that he knew that he was lying, maybe, maybe he didn't know. Hey, you teenagers ever tell your, tell your parents that? Uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was wrong. I, I, I thought the speed limit said 35, right? Maybe that, was, maybe that was Jesus. Maybe he died and he was like, oops, I didn't know, God. I did not realize what I was doing. I was crazy. Could you forgive me? I think that makes sense. Because it is possible to be both sincere and wrong, isn't it? Isn't it? You ever been sincere and wrong before? It'll give you an easy one, right? That you, you thought there was a chair behind you in middle school and there wasn't. You believed the chair was there. But Johnny, he moved it out of the way. Not you, Johnny Carter. I know you'd never do anything like that. Johnny's cool. He's good people. <clears throat> so maybe he was mad. Maybe he was insane. But here's the thing. His practical wisdom, his ability to understand and comment on the human heart you think the disciples did that? You think those fishermen were the ones who came up with all that stuff? That's not likely. His deep and winning love and compassion. Why? Why, if you had some desire to fool everybody into thinking you were God, would you spend your time hanging out with lepers and prostitutes and poor people? That's a really bad decision. That's a dumb idea. Caesar, he knew what to do with that. He's claimed he came from divinity, and he built the Roman Empire up, and he, you know, had people killed that didn't, didn't believe in him, and yet Jesus, he, he dies. He only had one thing he had to do not to die, and that was admit he wasn't God. That was the only thing they got him on. He would have had to be off the charts bonkers to live this life that he lived. So blasphemy, baloney, was it, was it one of those two things? It's really unlikely. Not only that, who could make up his responses to people? 
Who could, who, who could invent a guy who says, hey, blind guy, spit in your eye, make mud, and then go on, go find the pool of Siloam, go wash, and you'll, and you'll see. Who would make that up as God? Uh, one guy says it this way. A couple guys have similar quotes like this. I think Walter Wink says it this way. It would take more of a poet than Jesus to invent a Jesus, which means you can't invent this guy. It's just not possible. So, just a few of the big claims. I know I didn't, I didn't uh, match wits with every, every theory out there and everything like that and the new article that comes out every six months in Newsweek and, uh, and National Geographic, Jesus' 13th disciple and all of these things, um, as if all the historians didn't already have that information for thousands of years that they were looking into just to sell a magazine. I didn't go into all of that, and you didn't want me to. But here we are. Here we are thinking about the identity of Jesus, wrestling with the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the guy who said, don't store up your treasures in heaven. This is the guy who said, you've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them. Somebody in this room might be somebody who, who would throw rocks at God if he was standing here telling you to do that. I, I wonder with, with some of these issues, whether they be about personal piety or in our relationship to others around us, what would, our, what would our response be to God if he was standing here talking to us about those things? Would you get mad at him? Would you look for something to hit him with? Throw a rock at him. My God, somebody ask for mercy right now because there's not a person in here who could, who could have God in front of you, standing in front of you, telling you those things in the context of your world, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or whether you're conservative or liberal, that he wouldn't say things to you that wouldn't make you mad. And yet he says, if you wanna say I'm a, I'm a teacher and put me up on the shelf with Confucius and, and Muhammad, a prophet, if you wanna say that I'm a philosopher like Sartre or Marx or one of these folks, he said, I don't fit on that shelf. I don't fit up there with all those folks. I didn't say, I will show you the way. He said, I am the way. Do y'all hear me? You hear what I just said? Somebody say amen to that. He said, I am the way. That's the Jesus that we see here in the Bible. That's the living, active word of God, the Son of God, equal with God. Y'all didn't think you were gonna hear all this at Christ City this morning, did you? <laughs> but that's, that's me, and guess, I'm an elder. So you just, you're gonna, you're gonna hear some preaching sometimes like this, all right? And, and, and we're going to be okay with that. So let, let, me, let me leave you with this, this quote uh, from this guy, this uh, theologian, Thesson, and I don't know 
if that's right or not. He says simply this, if he is not God, he is not good. Some of you have believed. You've believed in something. You've believed in an idea. But I don't know if everyone, if we all believe in this man Jesus who claimed to be God, more than what he taught, more than your church attendance or your doctrine or your self-help, the most important question that Jesus says to answer is this, who do you say that I am? Most people that met Jesus wanted to do two things to him, worship him or kill him. That's the kind of line he draws. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for the, the challenging and difficult words in your book, in the Bible. And we pray right now for humility in our hearts. We pray that you would give us the ability to see the blind spots, that you would give us a hunger and a desire with fresh eyes to read the words of Jesus, to wrestle with this God who will not fit in any of the boxes or on any of the shelves that we have given or provided for him. We pray, I pray that if there is someone in here who has not believed and that they feel that tugging on their heart, that they would respond. If their heart has been pricked, that they would not stay in their seat, that they would come up for prayer, that they would ask somebody for help, that they would repent because they are not God, Jesus is. And I pray that, they, that your mercy and your grace would wash over them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.